Go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 tonight. And it is good when we have reminders from the Lord, even about things that we do know. Uh, you got a reminder tonight, just in the, by way of the snow, that it's still winter. <laughs> and so reminders are good for us. And tonight, I believe the Lord wants to remind us all of a truth that maybe you already know, but a truth that we need uh, to be reminded of as Christians when things are going well in our lives and when blessing is happening and when there, is, there, there are the promises of God being presented to us. Last week, we looked at the covenant between God and David, and that was an exciting time where David wanted to build the house of God and God comes to him through the prophet Nathan, and he says, No, no, you're not going to build me a, a place of worship. I'm going to build your house. I'm going to establish your throne, your kingdom. And, and we went on to look then in the New Testament at Gabriel's words to Mary and how the fulfillment of that very promise that God made to David was going to be through the house, the kingdom, and the throne of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ ultimately for forever and that God always fulfills his promises and now we come to the second part of this encounter with God and if we were to stop in verse 17 we might think to ourselves what would the response of David be to God saying through the mouthpiece Nathan no you can't do this thing but thankfully scripture doesn't leave us hanging let's start here in verse 18 as the Holy Spirit paints the picture of what happened afterward. And it's very instructive to us. Verse 18, Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? If you can just imagine in your mind's eye, David has just heard this message, and he... So the Bible tells us that he walks into the place where the Ark of the Covenant is, where God is, and what does he do? He sits down, and I don't know if he sat in a chair or if he sat on the ground, but then he says, who am I? Who am I that you should give this blessing to me? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hither to? And tonight, for a few moments, I want us to look at what it is to truly have a humble heart in, in seasons of realizing God's promises and blessing to us. And, and David's example of, of this humble heart here tonight. Father, would you remind us of your, of your promises that you have given to us in your word? Your scripture is full of them, or that we can call unto you and you will show us great and mighty things that we know not, that, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are our rock, our fortress, our buckler, where all of these are promises that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded, Lord, to, to claim those promises, to praise you for that, and Lord, to stay humble that we, even in seasons of blessing, you blessing us, Lord, that we can truly say it's not because of us, and we can look to you in praise and prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd just work on our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a great promise that has been given to David, that his house, his kingdom, and his throne would continue forever. And the response is to come to the, 
to the ark and to this, the presence of God and to say, who am I? And this good thing that you've promised me, I can't even fathom all of eternity, what it's going to look like. David is saying here. Now continue in verse 19. And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. But thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And this, and is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And David is just overcome at this point, as we should be, when we think about the great promises that God has given to each one of us. After hearing these words, David says this, this, uh, this uh, phrase that is repeated throughout Scripture, and this, the manner of... And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Essentially what he's saying is, how can this be? How can this be? Um, think about the, the disciples when they were in the boat on the sea and Jesus was sleeping and he comes up and he stills the wave. What did they say there at the end of that passage? Behold, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey his voice? And I'm here, David is just, he doesn't understand the, the, the breadth of, of what has just been promised to him. And he said, and is this the manner of man, O Lord God? God, I'm, I'm a nobody. You called me out of a sheep field to come lead a group of Israelites. And now you're promising me that my house is going to live on, my throne is going to live on forever? That had never been promised to a king up until this point. Verse 20, he continues, And what can David say more unto thee? He talks of himself in the third person. <laughs> what can I say more to thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant known them. Wherefore, thou art great, O Lord God. For there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And as we look at the, his response of humility tonight, what I want us to do is look at two key things that I see sticking out from this passage. The first being that David's humility comes out of knowing God's character and God's relation to him. And when we know God's character and God's relation to us, that God is good, that God is just, that God is loving, and that God is going to, to, to do all things that are, that, are, that are right, we then understand this wasn't, this wasn't David doing this. This wasn't David saying in pride, well, I, I just expected this. I was serving God, and this is just what I expected to happen. No, he knows who he is in the sight of God because he knows God's character. In verse 18, he says, Who am I, O Lord God? And in verse 22, he states, Thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee. There's no one. There's no false God. Uh, that is, there, there's, no, there's no real God besides you. You are the one true God. And this is proof of it right here in Scripture of, of, of the deity of, of God. 
David knew he didn't deserve it. But we, we find stated uh, <clears throat> he didn't deserve anything that God had promised to him in that Davidic covenant. But as we find, as David stated, that third reason that we saw last week, that he could not build the temple because he was a man of war, he didn't, his response was not to get bitter and angry towards God. It could have been. It could have been very different. We saw the first reason that, that God gave was, I have not dwelt in any house to this time. The second was that he didn't ask David to build him a house. And that third one was that God had said, David, you're a bloody man. You are a man of war. Flip over to First Chronicles 28. Keep your finger here. First Chronicles 28. And I said we would come back here this week. And I want to look at the, uh, the second portion of this passage here. In verse 3, David is, this is the parallel passage here where David is crying out to the Lord. First Chronicles 28, verse 3 says this, But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build an, an house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he liked me to make me king over all Israel. I see two key things that, God, uh, that he's saying, that he's declaring there that God is toward him, is that God chose me. It's okay that God said no, because he's chosen me for a specific task. And I'm not going to be insecure about God saying no to one thing. I'm going to be secure in my God that he knows what he's doing in my life. He chose me. But he didn't just choose me. He didn't just love me. He didn't just save me. He liked me. <laughs> okay? We can love, you know, people. And, and oftentimes, human love takes the form of simply pity towards someone. But God's love is very different from that. God's love is beyond our understanding. And God, when he loved you and saved you, I just want to tell you tonight, it wasn't because he just pitied you. He liked you. Amen. <laughs> that's, that's an exciting truth that God actually likes us and that he, he has a plan for our life. In the, in the plan for David's life, was to make me king over all Israel. Praise the Lord. But God has a plan for your life as well. God, God wants to, to, to communicate that to you tonight. And David's response is not, well, you know, I knew that this was going to happen. No, it was, who am I that this blessing should come to me? And that humility, again, is coming out of a, a heart that knows God. And I want to challenge us all here tonight that we need to, especially in times of blessing, when God is, is showing his hand uh, to us and, and where we can see, even as we declared tonight through testimonies of being able to see and trace God's hand, don't ever allow that to lift our hearts up in pride. Because the moment we do that, we then become vessels that are not fit for, for what God can use. We, we, we become crippled 
in our, in our service to God. We need to have the heart of John the Baptist as, as those uh, disciples of his were coming to him and saying that, you know, that, that guy Jesus, he's, he's over there. They're baptizing people. Everybody's going to him. And what does he say in John 3.30? He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that's the kind of heart that we need to have. Satan hates it when we have that kind of mindset, though. And when a Christian chooses to serve God, the tactic that Satan loves to resort to is to get that Christian to fall into the trap of pride. Because it's in that that it cripples him from the ser- his service to his king. God, God does, wants us to forsake pride, to put away pride. There's several places in the Bible where God talks about a proud look and how it's an abomination to the Lord. And that is something that we need to ask the Lord to reveal in our life and that we can put it away. And David avoids this trap. He, he says this, this is all of you, Lord. This is not any of my doing. So as we go back to 2 Samuel, we look to verse 23 now, and his tone changes a little bit as he starts to recount the history of what God has done. And this second key that I want us to see here tonight is that David's humility compels him to praise and pray to God. And this is what we're going to do tonight. This is what we're going to do. We're going we're to see that in our own lives. Verse 23 of chapter 7. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name? And to do for you great things and terrible. That's awesome. We talked about that in the Psalms there a little while ago. For the, thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt and from the nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. And here in these two verses, David gives praise to the Lord for what he has done in the past and how he, they've been delivered and how God called Israel to himself. And just think about that message of love that was shown through the deliverance in Egypt, through the wilderness wanderings. Even though it was 40 years, God was still trying to communicate his love all the way through that. The manna, the quail, everything that God was doing was, was for the benefit and for the love of his people. And then through the messages that the prophets preached, and even the illustrations given through the prophets, God was always trying to deliver to them the message of love. In verse 25, David now allows the blessing of God to compel him to pray back the promise that God had just given him in the first part of this chapter. David literally prays back the words of God to him and claims the promise in prayer. Look at verse 25. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as thou hast said and let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hath revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee an house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, 
Thou art that God, and thy words be true, and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it, and with thy blessing let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. In our lives, God desires that we pray back the promises of God to him. Not, not in a questioning way, like we're questioning whether or not it's true, but God's heart is that we come to him and we truly do claim his, his promise. It's not name it and therefore we can claim it. It is literally God names it, God said it, therefore we can bank on it, we can claim it. And, and be biblical about it. God promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. And, and we can pray that back to God. God, you promised this, and, and, and you said that you would be here with me today, and so I am standing in desperate need of you, and I'm expecting you to show up in my life somehow today, whether it be through your word, which he should always be showing up to us through his word, but also, Lord, just throughout my day, in the simple things of life, I need to see you. I need to be desperate before you. And we keep that humility of heart before us, and we will see God. God loves it when we view God as we should, and when blessing causes praise and prayer in our life. So David here is this great example to us of how to respond to the blessings and the promises of God in our life. He praises God in humility. He claims by faith the promises of God. And he prays to God knowing that God will do exactly what he says because he is true and he is good. And that's right there in the text for us. God wants us to pray back his promises to him. And I believe we can, we can do that as God leads us to tonight. Not, again, in a questioning way, but claiming by faith that they are life-giving words that are good and true. Today, God has given us, <clears throat> in his word, all that we need to do, uh, we need in order to live a godly uh, life according to, to his word. And if I'm not living a godly life, if you're not living a godly life, that lays solely, squarely on us. It's not because he hasn't given us the promises that we, we need to access. We, we, we need to, to, to claim those, those blessings and promises from him. And when we do, when we respond in humility, we, that is, we come to God and we say, God, I stand in desperate need of you. We are able to fully access his grace and those promises. So may we tonight, as we go to prayer, uh, that we would have hearts of humility and praise God for what he is doing many of the testimonies that we've heard tonight, but also claim his promises for the future, for the things that we can't see and that we know that he wants to do. So let's, let's do that as we go to prayer here tonight.